we are unapologetically all about amazing fashion. Um, you know, like as vegans, we still want to wear beautiful things. We want to look nice. We just don't want it to also harm animals and, and people on the planet. That's all. It's time to change the world. There's got to be a better way. It's time for something better. You feel like you can't really make a difference, but the fact is that you can. We're telling the stories of people who are changing the world and how you can help. You know, we just need more companies that are out there solving these problems. Businesses, nonprofits, artists, and individuals who have found a problem and then created a solution. If we want to have real impact, we have to do it together. You'll come away from every episode with action steps you can take to be part of that solution. We're never going to feel satisfied and happy if we just stay the same. We can each change the world every single day. People can actually come together and build a future for themselves along with other people. Our daily actions have a massive impact. So what will we do about it? We can remake the world. Because guess what? We can. Hi everyone. I'm Nathan Gardner and this is We Can Remake the World a podcast about the people who are changing the world and how you can help. I'm really excited about sharing today's episode with you. It's a topic that was pretty new for me, actually, and I learned a lot. And I really love digging into topics that I'm not so familiar with and kind of understanding how we can rethink the world and rethink how we're doing things in a certain respect to make things better especially when there's so many ways that I wish I could make the world better. I mean, I don't know if you can relate, but I've honestly needed a distraction. It's been refreshing for me to dig into this new topic because it's distracted my mind. The goings-on in the world continue to be a lot. A lot to take in, a lot to handle, a lot to follow, and it's so encouraging, for me at least, to learn about something that I was barely aware of, and to realize I can actually do a lot to make it better. I can have an impact just where I am by virtue of the choices I make. What really helps me is to continue to focus more on what I'm doing, how I'm behaving, and how I'm becoming part of the solution to any problem out there in whatever way I can. I can't snap my fingers and take this pandemic away, but I can open my eyes to how fashion is behaving in the world and how some people are transforming it for the better and how I can be part of that. I can't convince world leaders in business or politics to value our environment above profit by myself, but I can discover businesses who are out there making change through their example and through rethinking business as it exists, and then I can support them as much as possible. There is something that I can do. This is what you and I can control at the end of the day, how we react to circumstances around us and what our contribution will be. We get to decide that, and we don't have to look to media or celebrities or anything else to tell us how to be and who to be each day. We decide that. And this is what's keeping me sane, honestly, during this time. Learning more, bringing a stronger sense of empowerment to my daily life through knowledge and learning, and then making the best choices I can from where I am and sharing what I discover with my community to hopefully inspire and uplift and empower them too. And I hope you'll find that taking habits like that on does the same for you, makes you feel a little more keyed in, a little more passionate about life despite some pretty challenging times throughout the world, you know, for all of us. Thanks for being here and tuning in today. 
Stick around as we look more closely at the fashion industry and how we can all be part of evolving it into something that supports people and planet at every level. Fashion is a statement. A statement about who we are. Everything we put on our bodies is self-expression. As RuPaul famously said, we're all born naked, and the rest is drag. Your clothes today might be saying, today comfort matters more to me than style. Or humor is who I am. Or I'm a professional. Or style doesn't matter to me at all. Fashion is seen as a way to express our creativity, our personality, our interests, and our passions. But what we don't often think about is how fashion expresses our values. What we wear matters. Global fashion is a $2.5 trillion industry worldwide, with an estimated 430 million employees involved at every stage, from production of raw materials to creating the clothes themselves and assembling them, to shipping and then to sales. An industry this large has a massive impact on people and planet. And although we're used to thinking about what our fashion says about us while we're wearing it, we have to start to look at what our fashion says about us as we're making it, before it reaches the racks and the runways. It's the how of fashion that we're going to examine today. On April 24th, 2013, the Rana Plaza building in Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh, suddenly collapsed. The building housed five garment factories, which employed thousands of garment workers. 1,132 people died in the collapse of Rana Plaza, and more than 2,500 more people were injured. Factories in the Rana Plaza building produced clothes for well-known global brands like Benetton, Walmart, Prada, Gucci, The Children's Place, Bon Marche, Primark, and others. Just a few months earlier, over a hundred garment workers died when a fire broke out inside of another garments factory, with known safety violations in the same city. Walmart was involved there as well. The world was shocked to realize that the huge profits for companies and low prices for consumers when it comes to clothing in developed countries often means deplorable and dangerous working conditions for millions of garment workers around the world. Not to mention the environmental cost of producing cheap clothes fast, placing quantity above quality, and the environmental impact of producing all clothes regardless of quality. We did a little research and discovered that it can take 10 to 20,000 gallons of water to produce the cotton needed to make a single pair of jeans. The average person drinks 182.5 gallons of water per year. So one pair of jeans, in some cases, used enough drinking water that could last someone for 110 years. And according to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, a UK-based sustainability nonprofit, about half a million tons of plastic enters the ocean every year just from the washing of synthetic textiles like clothes made from polyester, nylon, rayon, and spandex, for example. That's the equivalent of 50 billion plastic water bottles entering the ocean every year just from doing our laundry. Today, the fashion and textiles industry is the number two polluting industry in the world, second only to the oil industry. 
which ironically doesn't just fuel our cars. The oil industry fuels fashion as well, since clothes made from polyester, nylon, acrylic, and other synthetics are actually made from oil. That's right. Your self-wicking workout clothes are wearable oil. As of 2017, synthetic clothing used 342 million barrels of oil every year. And finally, total greenhouse gas emissions from producing clothing and textiles is currently around 1.2 billion tons per year, which is more than the combined total of all international flights and ocean shipping worldwide, according to the Nature Climate Change Journal. I'll say it again, what we wear matters. Isn't it time for our fashion to become a statement not just about who we are on the outside, but also about what we believe on the inside? This is the question being asked and answered by our guest today, Anique Ireland, CEO and founder of the online shopping platform Immaculate Vegan. Immaculate Vegan hosts brands who have committed to producing products that are good for their employees across their entire supply chains and good for the planet. As transparency around the true cost of large fashion brands is leading consumers around the world to demand better, more and more small brands are entering the marketplace leading the way and showing what's possible. And Danique and the team at Immaculate Vegan want to give those brands an online home where values-driven consumers can connect with these mission-driven companies who are changing the game for the better. So thanks so much for taking some time to speak with me, Anique. I'm really excited to chat. Thank you so much for having me. Anique, let's start with your story. I'd love to hear about your decision to become vegan and you know, what drove that and why that became important for you? Yeah, sure. So I don't remember the exact date, but I think I pretty much became vegan around six years ago now. And the reason was, I think like a lot of people, it was probably a convergence of lots of different things coming together. So animal welfare and I'm concerned about the environment, you know, my own health as well. But I would say that the trigger was my dog. So I got a retired uh, rescue greyhound that I just adopted. And that kind of made me realize that really she was just like all other animals and I was you know involved in the exploitation of these animals and I would have hated for anything to happen to her or for anyone to harm her Um, and that for me then just kind of made me realize that well you know all other animals are in the same situation they also have feelings they're sentient beings so I made the kind of connection I became vegetarian at that point and then when I became vegetarian that then just opened me up to learning more and researching more about things like the dairy industry um, the egg industry, industrialized farming, things that I'd probably shied away from before because I felt they were just might be too horrific to kind of go into and, and, I, and I would have had to do something about it. Um, but because I felt like I was doing something good already, it just enabled me to do that. And yeah, as soon as, soon as I did, it just, you know, it was a total eye opener. I really had no idea how quite what was involved and how bad things were. And that made it then very easy for me to, to, become, uh, to become vegan. Hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think that's true for so many people. There's this sort of sense that things are pretty bad if you peek behind the curtain, but now it's becoming harder and harder to ignore that curtain. You know, we recently had Keegan, the co-director of Cowspiracy on, and he, that, I think that film just kind of blew that conversation wide open 
along with a few other films and books and it's it's sort of difficult to ignore anymore i think it is now i think particularly the way we consume a lot of our news and information on social media and, and obviously you know the way the algorithms work once you show interest in something it shows you a lot more so i think it's just we're much more exposed to that kind of information now than than we ever were before and you know if there's if there's one good thing about social media and there are a few good things I, I would say that you know that is absolutely one of them that dissemination of information that is that was previously really hidden from us because it's in the interest of those industries to hide it from us because if we knew the truth we probably wouldn't want to participate in them absolutely i definitely think that's true with food and i'm sure with fashion as well which i think we'll probably get into in in a minute here but before we do i'd love to just i'm just curious did you ever consider becoming vegetarian or or vegan or experimenting in that way before you adopted your dog yeah so i i mean i did i think even since you know since my teens i'd kind of i'd flirted with with vegetarianism um i didn't eat very much meat anyway very little meat I would say although I ate quite a lot of fish so it wasn't really hard from that point of view but I guess I just never maybe all the dots just hadn't been connected so I thought about it before from an animal welfare point of view and I tried bits I think it's more recently that the the focus has been on the environment in terms of understanding the impact that large-scale farming has on the environment right so I think that was a much newer aspect of it and I think the, the same with health you know as I go as I grow old grow older Obviously, I, you know, I became more aware of my health and what I had to do in order to keep good health. Um, and, and there'd been so much, I think, recent information about the effects of a plant-based diet on health and, you know, particularly in avoiding chronic diseases. So I think it was just all those things kind of came together. But yeah, the, the seeds were very, very much there. If you remember, what were some of the sort of most shocking, you know, truths that you came across once you started digging in, once you sort of yeah. made that transition to vegetarianism and you said, okay, you know, maybe it's time to learn more. What just sort of really left an impression on you when you were first yeah. digging in? I mean, I think the awful truth about the dairy industry, which I really had not understood before, was the fact that it sounds so obvious now, right? But, you know, in order to get milk, you have to basically get a cow pregnant and you have to take its calf away from it. And just, you know, what cows go through in terms of, you know, they're impregnated constantly. They're, con- you know, they have their calves taken away from them immediately. There are some horrendous practices that go on there, you know, in terms of preventing preventing the calf from milking from her mother. I mean, just that whole, and you know, this, then this poor, essentially, you know, it's a mother. It's, you know, I've got, I've, I haven't got children, but I've got, you know, plenty of friends that have children. That sort of instinct to, to protect your child is just overwhelming, right? To take that away and to then hook them up to a machine where they, you know, basically spend the rest of their short, miserable lives given antibiotics to prevent mastitis. I mean, it's just, it was just so horrendous. It was like something out of a, you know, almost like a dystopian fiction. And you sort of think, (laughs) wow, this is going on 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 a scale of billions of animals every day, just so we can have a bit of, you know, slightly thicker water to have on stuff where there's loads of alternatives now as well. So it just seems so crazy. So I'd say that, that was a really big one with the dairy industry, just the cruelty of that. I think the other one was around, you know, the the egg industry and how all male chicks obviously have no purpose and are killed at birth. Um, I mean, in some countries where there are, which, which is a lot of actually countries, you know, they, they're grounds to death in massive grinders. I mean, it's, again, it's like incredible sort of structural cruelty built into the system, but for just no need, it just all seems, you know, on the other side of it, it now seems so totally pointless to, to do these things when when there's just no need to do it and we have so many alternatives. But yeah, those those for me was like wow. It's sort of you know it's something you'd see in a horror movie, and yeah, and yeah, it's it's part of our everyday life, you know. Right, but just sort of behind that curtain again. It's behind which, the curtain, which, yeah. You know, yeah, and 
uh, unless you choose to look, it's easy. To, it, it's sort of built to be easy to ignore unless you choose to look. But once you look, you can kind of never unsee, I think, what you find. I think so. And I mean, also just, you know, think of the number of people that are employed in these industries. There's so much evidence, actually, of how traumatic it is to work in an abattoir or, you know, um, in industrialized farming conglomerates, you know, or if you're, you know, if your job is to kill the, kill the just hatch chickens, you know, that's, that's a pretty traumatic experience to go through as well. So it, it's bad for people. It's bad for animals. It's bad for the environment. It just, you know, there's no kind of, there's no tick boxes there, are there? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your experience of adopting an animal and sort of building that relationship, it's easy for that to become, I think, a bridge because, yeah. you know, Pigs, for example, are proven to be just as intelligent and emotionally evolved as dogs, if not more so in some cases. Yep. So to think that we are... And as three-year-old children, s- I think. You know, I think they've got right, the same cognitive yeah. abilities as three-year-old children, if not more sometimes. Right. And and like you're saying, the scale at which we're just sort of, you know, mass quote-unquote producing as though they were products, these 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 beings, these yeah. things which are alive and sentient and feel and experience emotions. and. But I think I think that's those, those, what, one of the saddest things of, of our kind of age is just how disconnected we, we are from nature and therefore we're not party to, to seeing what actually happens, right? We're disconnected from that grief or that cruelty, you know, or the, you know, the impact of it. Um, we're used to seeing parts of parts of animals wrapped up in cellophane in the supermarket, um, you know, or egg boxes with pictures of happy chickens on them and happy cows, you know, laughing cows on pictures of cheese. Um, and so we're, we're just so disconnected from what actually from what actually happens, right? And I think that's what enables it all to carry on. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect segue because you know I think there are so many similarities between the industrial food and industrial agriculture um, kind of apparatus, and probably what's happening in fashion. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll certainly have more insight than than I will, but I'd love to hear you speak about just the sort of out of sight, out of mind aspects of the fashion industry as well, and how that impacts you know animal welfare and also human welfare. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, it is very similar. I think it you know just like we all we all you know need food, we all wear clothes. The fashion industry is one of the largest employers in the world. Most of its workforce, I think over 80% are women. A very, very large number of those are employed in countries where there is poor environmental and social legislation around, you know, protection of human rights, uh, protection of workers' rights. Um, So, again, the vast majority of those are employed by fast fashion because that's where the volume of of, uh, fashion really comes from. And they, you know, again, are, you know, living living below a living wage, um, working in pretty volatile, insecure, and unpleasant conditions, all of which, you know, we don't see, right? Because when, and and this, by the way, is not just true of cheap fast fashion. Um, It is absolutely the case that it happens higher up in terms of mainstream brands, even luxury brands, you know, no one is is immune from it. Um, The level of, just the lack of transparency is is really shocking. Um, And and that's what enables a lot of this stuff to to take place. So the organization Fashion Revolution, which is a brilliant uh, organization that really campaigns for ethical labor, but also, you know, increasingly sustainability and animal welfare as well, published something called a Fashion uh, Transparency Index. And they look at some of the biggest brands in the world, I think about 250. And of those, only about 20%, and, that, and that's gone up, by the way, but I think the latest is about 20% publish the um, supply chain for just their top tier, right? Just just who makes, who, who kind of does the final garments when it goes down to raw materials like the cotton or the you know whatever it is the wool it's about seven percent so that hardly any of them publish i think two out of the 250 publish anything around living wages at all um wow. yeah what one of which is patagonia i can't remember the other one so it's just massively opaque part of the um opaqueness opacity <laughs> comes <laughs> comes from i think also 
these organizations not even having mapped out and understood their own supply chains themselves because they are so complex. You know, so you're talking about one garment might have been in 20 different countries because it has different things done to it in different places. You know, like the hang tags might happen in one place. The thread is produced in another place. And how all those different workers are treated and employed is, yeah, is, is very difficult for them to map out. Uh, it's not to say that, you know, it's impossible. It's not impossible. And good brands do do it. And we've, you know, we've got lots of examples of Immaculate Vegan of brands that are absolutely doing that. But it, but yeah, it's scary just how much, the lack of transparency, I think, you know, it really came in to play, I think, around COVID, some of that exposure anyway, when, you know, there was, there's a lot of stuff around really big brands cancelling orders, um, you know, some of the really big high street brands, and the effect that had on those workers. And I think what people didn't realise was those workers weren't going to get paid until, um, until those orders were actually shipped over. And so already people that are, you know, living well below the poverty line now have really nothing. Um, and there was obviously a lot of, you know, people were outraged by that and thought this was horrendous. And, you know, there was a lot of campaigning against it. Some of the brands did end up, you know, paying for those orders. So that was good. It showed what, you know, when we all get together and we make a fuss, it makes a difference. But my God, that's been happening for for decades and it's still happening. Um, and still most people don't don't know it's happening. I think that is one of the most important points that we could make in a conversation like this is when we have awareness, things often change and we have sort of a clear sense of what should be done or what could be done, then things change. But without that visibility, without that transparency, without people watching and knowing, it's so hard to expect these companies to change because they're not even aware, as you said, sometimes. And And if they are, they certainly don't want their consumers to be. So it's so important to have conversations like this and build that visibility. I mean, I think, yeah, the equivalent of them having a happy cow on their picture of the cheese, right, is some celebrity, you know, a Kardashian or a beautiful model modeling their clothes on a catwalk or, you know, in in an advert. And again, you know, the reality is some garment worker that's being, you know, not even being paid enough to feed herself or her family. There's such a massive kind of disconnect between the reality of how these items are produced and um, how they're marketed to us as, as consumers. But it, absolutely, it, it does work when you find out and when you make a fuss. And there are so many examples of brands, for example, dropping fur because it's become so unfashionable and consumer demand has, has, has led them to kind of really try and distance themselves from it, right? I mean, there are also brands that are ditching things like Angora um, wool because that's associated with, you know, quite high levels of cruelty and, and unsustainability as well. So this stuff is happening. I think when people find out and people get get behind the campaigns and demand, um, you know, fashion revolutions kind of hashtag is who made my clothes. It, it does make a difference. It's just about how, how do we make sure we get more of that information out there? And there, and there are plenty of great campaigning groups, by the way, that are all about getting that information out there. And it's, it's exciting in a way, because as you said, the fashion industry is one of the largest employers in the world. So of course, there's systemic change that needs to happen. And there's a lot of obstacles to that change, maybe, but there's also huge potential, because if we really do change it at a fundamental level, then we can improve the quality of life for so, so many individuals, humans and animals. Absolutely. It has such a transformative power, doesn't it? If you think of those billions of, you know, again, largely women, you know, imagine if they had meaningful work that was actually paying them a living wage. You know, that doesn't seem much to ask, does it? Um, but how transformative would that be? Imagine if we weren't wreaking all the untold damage that we do from using animal leather and wool and silk in fashion, you know, both from an animal welfare point of view, but also an environmental sustainability point of view. What a, what a difference that would make, let alone all the sort of positive sides of that. You know, we might talk about this later, but, you know, for example, a lot of the vegan 
new vegan leathers that are out there making use of waste materials like apple skins or pineapple leaves. Um, and that's creating new revenue streams for subsistence farmers. So there are so many positive, you know, active positives to a lot of these changes, as well as just getting rid of the, the bad side as well. So it's massively, yeah, massively transformational um, if we if we can kind of try drive it a bit faster, I think. Yeah, and you know, research shows that if women in developing countries are empowered and have that source of income that is livable, then the entire economy improves. When women Absolutely. are empowered, the entire society is then empowered. Massively, and it's so clear. Yeah, and it's so, it's just we can't ignore things like that anymore either. So I think the level of change that's possible is massive if we just undertake it and sort of make a commitment to do so. I think so. And that I think is very motivating and very inspirational and is, and is probably what, what drives all of us who are involved in some way, you know, in trying to make the world a more sustainable and more ethical place, right? We see that actually though things can happen and our, our efforts will, you know, lead to results. There's, there's definitely a link there, I think. Totally. And I think it's got to be a movement. It's got to be, uh, you know, a collective choice that we make, which it starts with awareness and then conversation. And then, you know, then we find, seek and find solutions. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's something that a recent, another recent guest of ours said about a lifestyle revolution that's needed for sustainability, which I think is so true. And I think a lot of people have given thought to the, f- the food aspect of that, food systems and food choices. And I think fashion mm-hmm. is kind of poised. You know, you and I spoke about this recently when we were kind of preparing for today about that fashion is sort of poised to be the next big domino to fall. Would love to hear your thoughts about, you know, where you see fashion as being right now and where you'd like to see it go. Yeah. So I think I think fashion is absolutely next and, and it's happening already. I mean, the, the value of the vegan fashion market already is, I think it's in like 400 billion already and it's due to be a trillion in seven years time. So it, it is actually quite significant already. It's definitely, I would say, a few years behind food. I think the, the awareness of food is much is much higher, but I think that's helping fashion as well. I think just like the vegan food revolution is really largely driven by non-vegans, right? So it's those people that are, you know, meat-free Mondays, trying to maybe have one meal a day that, that's maybe vegan or at least vegetarian, because because it does all make a difference. I think it is it's the same. We're seeing the same kind of thing in fashion. So, um, and and the drivers are the same. So the environment is absolutely a massive driver. Animal welfare is a massive driver. I would say with food, obviously, there's a sort of personal health aspect which isn't necessarily there there in fashion, but you know, they're, they're so similar in other ways. And we see, you know, we we see customers that are again, men, you know, most of which are not vegan, but they've heard about. Um, well, it's actually two things. Either they've, you know, they've heard that animal leather is actually really not very nice, um, and they'd like to seek alternatives, or they've actually heard about these cool new leathers like Pinatex and cactus leather, which sound really kind of exciting and very high tech. And so those are becoming quite sexy as well. So I think it's both the sort of the stick and the carrot, isn't it? You know, the stick is, ugh, I don't want to really have anything to do with the leather if I can, you know, if I can avoid it. And then the, st- the carrot is, you know, oh, there's some lovely shiny new stuff over here. Uh, literally, with Pinatex, literally, it is largely shiny. And, and that becomes very appealing as well. So we're very excited about that. I mean, obviously, it's lovely to have more people, people go vegan. But as a, you know, as a society, we'll have bigger gains by, you know, a large number of people making those small differences, you know, choosing a leather, a vegan leather backpack instead of a leather backpack or choosing a t-shirt made of organic cotton instead of cotton you know all those things actually really do have an impact and when they're when they're kind of scaled up at volume and you know what i love about immaculate vegan is what i see on the platform is this sort of because fashion is fun fashion is supposed to be creative and it's supposed to be self-expression and it's supposed to be you know colorful and customizable you want it to be a piece of who you are and i feel like immaculate vegan and the brands that you all have chosen to feature allow people to do that 
within this framework of sustainability and yeah. animal rights. So much of the natural clothing lines that you come across generally, I think, are sort of, you know, they're earth tones, they're made <laughs> of one of a couple materials. Yeah. But like, there is this kind of fun, playful, sexy aspect of like, yeah, my bag was made of like, pineapples like how awesome is that and it's this like exactly. shiny metallic I was on the website and I almost bought this backpack that was made of pineapple skins it's like this metallic silver it's so cool I bought some other things but, but the, <laughs> I know the one this you mean one that I, one's just sold out actually but we'll get it we'll get it back in stock oh, no I missed my but chance it's gorgeous isn't it yeah yeah and you know would you speak about that as sort of maybe a guiding philosophy that I assume was somewhat intentional at least for Macula Vegan and sort of yeah what what you saw as lacking in the marketplace that you wanted to fill by building this brand? Yeah, I mean, I think that is absolutely, and I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly how we want to come across. I mean, for me, you know, I I, I love fashion. Um, I mean, you can't tell this from, from, you know, obviously no one can see me on this podcast, but I'm currently wearing sweats, uh, but I do love fashion. Um, and we are unapologetically all about amazing fashion. Um, I personally believe that while there are many ways in which you can kind of raise awareness and get people to change their behavior, for me, I don't feel that preaching or telling people why what they're doing is really bad is, is going to have the biggest effect, right? I think informing people is really important, you know, and we do a lot of stuff to inform people. We tell them about what happens with animal leather and how it's produced. You know, we explain to them how different materials compare to each other in terms of sustainability. Um, so we give a lot of information, but we really try very hard not to preach at all. And it's really all about just giving people things that are absolutely gorgeous, really high quality, that they will love, because that is what fashion is all about. Um, you know, I think it's a highly creative artistic enterprise, and it should make you feel brilliant, what, you know, whatever style you like. Um, but it's all, you know, it's, it's all about giving people that while also being sustainable and ethical so that really you're not having hmm. to make any compromises. And, th- and that for me was the gap I saw. So, you know, just like you and I, you know, you talked about the sort of the, the, the natural clothing brands. When I started typing in vegan shoes and vegan bags, you know, when I first became vegan, I was horrified. I was like, oh my God, like, really? I'm going to have to wear that? I don't, I don't want to, I want, I don't want to do that. Uh, I don't want to look like I'm going on a hike, you know, every day. I want to wear some nice things. I want to wear heels. I, you know, um, I want to wear beautiful dresses. So, and that was, I was like, wow, can I, can I not do this now? I'm vegan. And then it was really only after quite a bit of research and spending a lot of time on the internet and Instagram primarily that I found that there were actually loads of really gorgeous, high-quality, premium fashion brands out there, but they were just largely very small and um, very product-led, but they didn't have a, you know, a lot of sales and marketing clout behind them to get out to a wide audience. And so I thought, well, I don't, I don't want anyone to be put off either being vegan or just trying to choose more sustainably and ethically because they think that stuff isn't out there and therefore, oh, I'm just going to have to go back to what I was doing before, Right. Um, and, that, and that's really why I formed Immaculate Vegan. And it was just a blog at first, but it was just about curating and sharing the very best of what was out there in um, as beautifully presented way as, as I could, because I wanted people to go, wow, this, oh, this looks amazing, first and foremost. Oh, it's vegan. Um, you know, that, that's kind of how I want the order of it to go. You know, as a vegan, I still, you know, I want to go out and I want somebody to say, oh, your shoes are amazing. And, you know, and for me to be able to say, oh, yeah, and they're vegan. Um, you know, like as vegans, we still want to wear beautiful things. We want to look nice. We just don't want it to also harm animals and, and people and the planet. That's all. So that that is a massive driver for us. Yeah. No, I think that's brilliant. And honestly, Immaculate Vegan, I I have been, you know, relatively recently coming to this understanding that fashion is a huge sort of tool for change and a huge tool of influence with consumer choice. So I've been on the food train for a while, but the fashion train 
is relatively recent for me. So I've seen, but I've seen enough of these platforms to kind of know what most of them look like and what many of them offer. But Immaculate Vegans was one of the first where I was like, whoa, this is cool. And it's relatively new, right? When did you found the platform and and how's it been going? I think you just completed a recent funding round. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see the growth of Immaculate Vegans. Yeah, so we, so yeah, we started it. Well, I started it as a blog about three years ago, but we only launched it as a sort of full-on retail site about... I think probably about 20 months now we started we launched it in October 2019 and it was and it was quite a soft launch um but yeah we've had a we've had an amazing kind of you know year and a half we've it's been self-funded until very very recently so we've kind of bootstrapped it all uh and it's myself and a co-founder and one employee and then we just work with a number of different amazing freelancers and it's been a, you know really hard work <laughs> but it's been brilliant and a huge amount of fun and amazing learning and the best thing is, we, you know, we've, we've grown hugely. Um, we have lots of wonderful customers who are coming back and love us. And we're constantly developing and adding loads of new brands and new categories. And we very re- yeah, recently just um, completed our first fundraising round, which has gone really well. Um, so we've now got some money to really mainly put into marketing, actually, over the next year. But also, you know, we'll, we will absolutely invest more in category development and also in the website itself and the website experience so I think we're yeah we're in a really good place. It's been hugely motivating. One of the best things I've I've noticed is just how many new brands are launching in this space all the time. I mean, you know, I've, I've just this week I've been contacted by three new vegan trainer brands, all of whom look brilliant. And this yeah, it's just it's amazing. I think people are realizing there's a market here. Um, there's been a huge development also in the vegan leathers that are out there as well. Even even just in this short period of time, the market is very dynamic and it and it's it's fast paced. It's growing. Um, it's very innovative. So it's very, it's a very exciting place to be. I think so. I think it's really exciting because I really think we're almost seeing the start of that lifestyle revolution within fashion taking shape. You know, as you said, I've watched the same thing happen, especially over the last year. All of a sudden, there's all these brands with really well-designed, thoughtfully created products that look great, that are lasting, that are also, you know, sustainably produced. And with giving back programs built into their brand or support for their employees if they are outsourced to underdeveloped countries. Yeah. Are there a couple brands sort of under the Immaculate Vegan umbrella that are especially inspiring to you that, you know, you'd call out as, you know, this is what a brand with the right values and intentions can do? Yeah. Oh, so yeah, it's hard to pick. I can. Um, So many of our brands have amazing stories. You know, loads of them have giving back programs. Um, They're all very transparent about all the different aspects of their supply chain. Um, maybe a couple I'd call out are, and they're quite different in terms of what they do. So we have a, a brand that's just recently joined us called Wildness, which is Danish for the wilderness. Uh, they found the founder is Danish. It's a women's wear brand, clothing brand, beautiful collection. But what I love about them is, and you can see this on their, on their website, they, they basically publish their entire supply chain, literally from beginning, you know, from, wow. from the, crops that are grown by the farmers to produce the cotton through many different layers. Cause even a small brand, a small, even a small independent brand has still a lot of layers. You know, there's different people doing different things in different places right through to the couriers that then send you your product and just how much they really, they have paid attention to every single element. And that also shows to me that you can, you absolutely can do it. If you, if you build like that from the start, you can absolutely do it. And, and the big brands could do it because yes, it's a lot of work, but they have the resources. Let's face it. But yeah, you, you can you can be sort of unashamedly, completely transparent to consumers, and I, and I think that that's ultimately what consumers want. What we're seeing is not no one's asking for brands to be perfect. I think what people want to understand is 
but what is actually happening? What are you doing? Right. And, and I don't want to, just want to see your goals and, you know, 2030 will be doing this. It's like, what are you doing now and where are you doing it and who's making your stuff and how, you know, how are they getting paid? All that kind of stuff. So I think for that, they are kind of a role model in that. And again, they make just gorgeous clothes at actually pretty accessible price points. They're not cheap. They're not fast fashion because they pay all their workers properly, but, but they're absolutely accessible. So I, w- I would say they're a really good example of that. I mean, there's another brand that um, is a bags and accessory brand called Luxtra London. They're one of my favorites as well. And what I really like about them, um, I mean, they're also very clear about their supply chain, but what I love about them is just how they sort of overturn, I think, a lot of assumptions about what what vegan bags and accessories are going to look like. So one, they're really, you know, high fashion designs, but also the materials. You know, a lot of people think, oh, it's going to be plasticky. It's going to be poor quality. So they have been at the forefront from the beginning of every one of the sort of most innovative vegan leathers. Their collection has apple leather, Pinatex, cactus leather. They experiment with different sort of bio-based leathers now, which are amazing. So these are basically where instead of a sort of traditional plastic that's from the fossil fuel industry, um, you can actually create those same kind of plastic compounds purely out of plants. So corn is, is one that's often used. Um, obviously that's a lot better and it's biodegradable um, and they produce beautiful beautiful leathers that look and feel exactly like animal leather with with none of the kind of bad stuff so they for me are a real pioneer in just how you know again if I compare them to a lot of the really big luxury bag brands they're not doing anything exciting they're churning out the same old designs <laughs> with the same old boring, boring right. materials you know like there's yeah. nothing sexy or interesting about cow's leather or you know, even worse, like a lot of the exotic leathers, these have been around for absolutely ages. They're horrific for every, you know, for the environment and for animals. And yet, you know, there's a brand like Luxtra who are properly kind of at the zeitgeist of all the cool stuff that's happening. For me, that's a much sexier proposition as a consumer. Even if I didn't care about, you know, ethical and sustainable fashion, I'd be like, I want to, I want to be there, right? This is more exciting for me. And I feel like there's this quality of fashion, which is almost built into its DNA of the new is what's exciting. And so what could be more exciting and new than reimagining all of the sort of textiles that are used and not only rethinking them just to rethink them, but to like to serve the planet at this Mm -hmm. time when this conversation is growing and growing and growing. It's really exciting. exciting. I mean, yeah, Apple leather is, is a leather that's now used by quite a few of our brands, actually. But I mean, that's an amazing material because, you know, currently it's not 100% plant based, but it's getting up. Up to there the latest apple leathers are about 80 percent plant-based and they're just using the discarded apple skins and cores from the apple juicing industry which have no purpose you know they're going in the bin and they're creating this amazing vegan material that again look, looks and feels like animal leather i mean what a, you know what an incredible thing to do and how cool that it's now sort of cross industry. Like if we sort of take that philosophy that you see sometimes where people say nature wastes nothing. Yeah. If we really apply that philosophy to everything in our society, industries can sort of collaborate in this way. You know, fashion can yeah. take from food production and 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 vice versa. And, you know, it. I love stuff like that. Yeah. And something you said earlier, I think, is so true and so exciting about, you know, being so transparent about the supply chain, once consumers are exposed to that story from smaller brands, and then that sort of ripples outward over time, people will start to expect it from larger brands too. Well, I would and, hope so. You know, before long, it, yeah, it's like... I mean, yeah. if I was, you know, if I was the kind of consumer that was buying from Dior Chanel or, you know, getting my bags from Burberry, I'd be wanting to say to those brands, why aren't you doing stuff like this? You know, why aren't you using mushroom leather or cactus leather? Right. Because I think, yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those brands are just very stuck in their ways until their until their consumers want something different until their customers are asking them and then and then they will and actually we are to be fair we are already seeing that happen um i think almes 
had used mushroom leather in one of its bags. Unfortunately, it was alongside calf leather, which is a bit, you know, like, oh, I don't think you guys have quite got how this works, but, but you know, okay, <laughs> you get one point for, for trying. Try, try a bit yeah, harder right. next time. But, you know, it, it, it's the start, isn't it? But I think they clearly did that because again, probably not from an animal welfare point of view, otherwise they would have included the calf leather, but because probably their customers were like, oh, I've heard mushroom leather is really cool. Uh, you know, why aren't you using that? So it, it, it's becoming sexy and attractive to some of those bigger brands, which is great. It, just in the same way that at first, I think, you know, 10 years ago, people might have been shocked that McDonald's had a vegan option. Yeah. Or, you know, in the U- in the US, there's a very well-known um, sort of diner called Denny's. Oh, yeah. Denny's now I've has free range. At, yeah, if you if you were up to a certain time in the evening and you had nowhere else to go, you go to Denny's. <laughs> um, but, um, but, you know, they have free range eggs on their menu now. And the way that yeah. that movement has over decades trickled down into every aspect of the food industry, I think it's only a matter of time before fashion experiences a similar transformation and it will probably happen faster because people have more access to information there's more awareness around small brands because the internet has sort of leveled the awareness playing field somewhat but one point that you're making i want to dig into just a minute so this what larger brands are doing because i've seen things like i think h&m is has sort of a parallel line where they're producing clothes with sort of 50 percent sustainable materials and and converse the the shoe brand is creating shoes from recycled plastic bottles or they're taking materials from their own process and sort of putting them recycling them into new products so that they're not wasting as much this is all really great and it's it shows that this this movement is starting but i'd also love to hear you just speak about you know what could these large brands really do if they wanted to and what should we be careful about as consumers and trusting some of what the larger brands are doing as their first step? You know, yeah. this sort of idea of greenwashing. It's all kind of the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. So, so H&M, I think, have had their conscious collection, which they've been expanding over time. And it includes things like, you know, the use of vegan silk, um, cactus leather, for example. Quite a few other brands are sort of doing similar things. So, look, I think, I think what's really good is that there's an intention there to do better. Um, regardless of where it comes from, right? I think it is driven by people asking for this kind of stuff and they know they need to do something, but I think that that's all good. What I would say is I think the realities around what we've seen appear to me to be quite tokenistic and so far sometimes misleading. I think there is a lot of greenwashing. So, you know, one aspect is that while they're using, I think, better materials than they were before, this still represents a very small portion of their overall collections. I mean, really teeny tiny, and they're still not addressing a really key issue, which is around who's making their clothes and how they're being paid and treated. So that, that side isn't going away. Mm. They're not suddenly putting their conscious collections with people that are now pay, being paid, you know, better wages or, um, you know, operating be- in better environmental conditions. So that for me is, you know, if you, if you care about these things as a, as a consumer, and I hope a lot of people do, you could be maybe misled into thinking, oh, well, therefore, you know, the the conscious collection really is about them being conscious. But, you know, if you're missing out, actually, who produces your clothes in the first place, to me, that's not very conscious. So that that is the biggest gap, I would say, in terms of a lot of these collections. They're still still part of the same machine that employs the same Mm. people, treats them badly, still creates a lot of waste. You know, know, you're still talking about a fast fashion engine, which is all about producing very, very high volumes of products at relatively low prices. And which encourages overconsumption and, and, and a lot of waste from that. So the machine is still there. Um, it's just making things, you know, you're just tweaking small things at the edges. Now, you've got to start somewhere. So again, I'm not, you know, I think it's, it's, it's great that that is happening rather than it not happening at all. 
I guess all I would be wary of is, is customers think being, you know, thinking, okay, well, therefore they've, they're solving the problem. And really it's just, it's just a little drop in the ocean so far. And as, as, um, I keep using the word consumers, but really I know that's a bad word, right? We should be saying citizens because we're not just here to consume as citizens. We, we, we need to understand that so that we can demand more rather than thinking, Oh, that's good. You know, job done. So yeah, that, that's all I would say. I mean, I think there, I was reading an article recently, unfortunately, I can't remember exactly where I think it might be in the Guardian, which was also, they delved into quite a bit of the sustainability claims by some of the f- big fast fashion retailers and found them to actually be actively lying in quite a few instances as well. So, uh, lying about materials, for example, um, or how they're being produced. So, so I think there's, again, because, because it's so mm. opaque, and this is why I go back to transparency. Transparency is everything. You know, if you've got transparency, then you can look at it and go, am I happy with that or not? Um, but if you don't right. know what the situation is, you don't, all you can believe is just, you know, the, the latest paragraph on a marketing, you know, spiel, right. Or marketing campaign, which, which is, you know, it's, it's right. the title, it's our conscious collection includes cactus leather. And then you think, great, that's all good. Or, you know, or they've hired a sustainability champion, which is a celebrity. Um, and there's sort of this, this implication that if we're doing this, then we must be do- making improvements across the entire, our, our entire organization. Or, and I think it's, it's, it's easy to want to believe that, but we have to be careful as consumers to still ask for more, to ask for more transparency and to, and to read the resources that we have available yeah, to us. Yeah, unfortunately, I think we do have you know? to do a bit of digging. And I know it's hard work. And I know it become overwhelming. But I think, I think it's just, yeah, looking at how transparent are I being, that's a really good sign companies that are d- genuinely doing lots of good things want to want to re- show that they don't want to hide it that is a very good point you know that that for me is the number one thing if, if we have you know if when we're looking into brands for immaculate vegan if they're being really transparent like already they've ticked a box for me because companies that have stuff to hide are not going to do that they, you know they don't they, <laughs> they don't want to have their their dirty underwear on show right they want they want to be covering up so the ones that are being transparent are already probably doing very good things and then you can go and have a look at what things they're doing I think the other thing is look at how they describe what they're doing now as opposed to Target. So loads and loads of brands, pretty much everyone, including all national governments, have targets about how they're going to get to net zero and how they're going to do this and how they're going to do that. Um, and they're all 2025 or 2030 or beyond. But that doesn't mean anything. It's, you know, wh- okay, where are you on that journey then? That's great that you've got some like, nice big targets, but where are you now? Have you started it? You know, are you half the way there? Um, so I think that's another important thing. And there are also, you know, there are great resources out there that do a lot of that work for you. So, you know, Good On You is a brilliant website. They rate fashion brands from the small. I mean, we've got several brands that are on, on Good On You to, to the very, very large brands. Um, and, they, you know, they give them a rating across things like their environmental impact, their social impact and their animal welfare. And they just make it simple for you to kind of go, oh, OK, I can see that this brand's doing really well here or, is, you know, is overall given a good rating as opposed to a, Ugh, you know, must do better or, or it's a start or whatever. And also Fashion Revolution. So I think their Fashion Rev is their, is their handle on Instagram. Um, they've been a campaigning body for a long time. And they, are, they started off, you know, primarily around ethical labor, but also they do a lot now around sustainability as well. Um, and they publish uh, something called the Fashion Transparency Index, which looks at how big brands perform in terms of their transparency. So you can just go on there and you can immediately see where maybe your favorite brand is rated in terms of its transparency. That already will tell you quite a lot in terms of how well it's doing. There's, you know, the clean clothes campaign, which kind of looks at which, you know, what big brands are doing around particularly ethical labor. So there are some good resources out there that kind of have done this work for you that you can follow and get their newsletter or just follow them on on social media and find out what they're saying. Something that I love about Immaculate Vegan is you go to that platform and if you have these values of sustainability, animal rights and human rights, then the assumption, you know, should be that 
the brands they're purchasing from on Immaculate Vegan are within your value system. Um, you know, what are some of the benchmarks that you look for as you're vetting brands for to include on the platform? Are there any specific boxes that, you know, organizations must check or, you know, what is that process like? For yeah, you? so we look at four different kind of categories. And while we don't have specific benchmarks or accreditations that they have to have, and, and that's just really because there, there, there are no standard ones. Um, but essentially what we look for is evidence from the brand that we feel is strong and robust that shows they're doing good things um, in all areas. So number one is materials. Obviously for us, it ha- they, the products have to be 100% vegan. That we are completely unequivocal about. And that includes, by the way, you know, we, we dig into things like you know, what dyes are you using? So we're not using insect-based dyes um, or buttons. You know, So we, you know, some beautiful luxury sustainable fashion brands use mother of pearl buttons, which are from oyster shells, which come from the commercial fishing industry. So, so you, you know, we are really careful. We dig into those kind of things, which, you know, so a lot of platforms wouldn't. Um, but also, are they using some of the most sustainable materials that they possibly can? So, you know, if it's, for example, vegan leathers, what kind of vegan leathers are they using? We, we have a strict no PVC policy. But then on top of that, it's kind of, okay, are they, are they using the most sustainable ones that they can? Um, are they using as many bio-based or recycled materials as they can? When it comes to clothing, it's things like organic cotton or linen, tensile, uh, which is you often might hear called tensile modal or lyocell or vegan silk even, um, bamboo silk. That, you know, there are lots of really wonderful sustainable materials out there. Again, the devil is in the detail. It's how it's produced um, and, what, and, what, and sometimes what, what manufacturers are producing that particular you know, even if it's a plant-based material, there are some manufacturers that do it more sustainably and some who don't. And again, you know, the good brands will talk about that. They will say, we work with this supplier who produces it in this way because it's got X, X and X, you know, so, so lots of transparency around that. The second one is manufacturing. So are they manufacturing in as a sustainable way as they can? That might include things like working with factories that use renewable energy or closed loop technology, which is where everything kind of gets recycled around it in the factory. Um, do they have strict emissions on things like you know carbon emissions or dyes or chemicals? So it's, it's a large number of different things that can come under manufacturing. But again, it's you know how are they how are they showing they're thinking about all these different things and what are they telling us that they're actively doing? The third one is ethical labour. Obviously, we've talked a lot about that already, but that is hugely important. Can they guarantee a living wage? Um, and the fourth one is packaging. So are they using as sustainable packaging mm-hmm. as possible? Again, it's different depending on the actual item that's being packed. But, but it, you know, it's, it's generally around things like, you know, recycled, recycled materials, zero waste, plastic free, things like that. So we tr- and we try and tell the, those brands stories in each of those areas, because fundamentally, that's what we're about. We're about, you know, we're, we are our brand. So um, it's their stories that are, that are going to ultimately excite and inform and inspire all of our you know, all of our potential customers. Wouldn't it be incredible if those four categories were had a scoring system that oh. were applied to all fashion brands in a totally standard in a totally standard way? Well, actually, there yeah. are in some areas. So, um, in terms of materials, um, there's the I think it's the Sustainable Fashion uh, Apparel Coalition. I think I've, I've said that word a bit, name a bit wrong. I think it's a bit shorter than that. But anyway, um, they do something called uh, the Higgs Index. And the Higgs Index is basically a benchmark of materials commonly used in fashion. And they measure the environmental impact from cradle to grave. So they look at a very large number of different aspects, you know, things like water use, soil erosion, um, obviously carbon emissions, but, you know, a large number of things. Um, and they rate materials based on that. Um, animal, animal leather is the worst, by the way. Um, and silk and wool are in the top four, I think. I think along along with inorganic cotton, um, and that, and that's higher, by the way, than polyurethane, 
which is one of the plastic leathers. So yeah, animal leather, just from a purely environmental point of view, forget about animal welfare, is actually a lot worse than than plastic vegan leather. So that for me, that for me was like, oh my God, like, who, you know, a lot of people don't know this. They think animal leather is natural, potentially sustainable. It's been around obviously for a very, very long time. But no, it's, it's actually pretty toxic and it has a very high environmental load. So yeah, so, the, so there are um, some of these indexes and benchmarks in specific areas. And I think, you know, and I think there is definitely work being done to try and have really robust and independent measurements in, in all of those different areas as well. But, it, but I think it is hard as a consumer to navigate because there are still a lot of different things to think about. Yeah, it's still sort of relatively early days, I think, for this yeah, industry and in the way that food it was, it was hard to validate at first before things became a little bit more transparent and standardized. But it's really exciting. I mean, you're sort of, you're part yeah. of the sea change, which is really pretty amazing. Um, it is. I wanted to get your thoughts on that topic just a little bit more, you know, for those who aren't familiar with the term fast fashion and what it implies and, you know, what we as, you know, citizens who are purchasing goods should be aware of when it comes to common products like leather, you know, wh- what would you say to somebody who's new to this idea of fast fashion and, and what some of the biggest sort of culprits are from an environmental and a human rights standpoint and animal rights standpoint? Yeah, I mean, the whole concept of fast fashion is really about producing items at a relatively, and I say relative because they're not all exactly the same price, um, but at relatively low cost in vast quantities. I think the key things are, I mean, price is an issue. So I think, you know, number one, really think about if you're buying something at a certain price, what do you think somebody could could be being paid to make that item? Um, I know there was a recent um, study, again, I think it was published in The Guardian, where um, researchers looked at in order to buy an item from Zara, and I think it was about, it retailed at about 20 euros, it was something like that, what would the worker have been paid? Um, It took them six months to try and research this because it was so hard to get the information. But basically what they ended up was, they were, you know, they were being paid well below a living wage per item, well below. So they basically tried to analyze, okay, of that 20 euros or whatever it was, you know, what portion went into packaging, marketing, Zara's profit line, you know, all all those kind of aspects. And therefore what, what was left? And I think a lot of people don't kind of realize that, like, you know, there's just, there's not much left. I mean, it sounds like a very sort of hackneyed phase, but it's, you know, buy the best quality you can afford and, and obviously buy less and buy better. Um, I know that's not necessarily even then accessible to everyone, but, uh, you know, another amazing uh, resource is, is you know, secondhand, now fashionably called pre-loved. Um, but I think it's great because it is fashionable. You know, there are so many great platforms now where you can buy genuinely totally brilliant pre-loved clothing and search for exactly what you want and search for your size there are, you know, the charity shops here in the UK anywhere are absolutely chock-a-block full of amazing secondhand fashion. Yeah. So that is, that's the most sustainable thing you can do by far. So I would say buy secondhand, you know, wherever you can and top up with new purchases where, where you know, where you need to, where you love something, where you think you're going to wear it a lot and buy the absolute best quality you can. And put Immaculate Vegan at the top of your list. Obviously, it'd be lovely to call that <laughs> for Immaculate Vegan, but wherever, wherever you buy it, I think it's just all, because I think, you know, if we talk about having, you know, you, you talked about changing our lifestyles, right? Part of that lifestyle is not just what we buy, it's it's how often we buy and our whole mindsets towards it, right? which is, I think, is moving away from this, it's new, 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 you know, stuff is, we, we go for trends, trends obviously change every season, of course they do, because that's what stimulates us to buy new things, to buying things that are more seasonless, where we, we don't care about trends so much, we don't care mm. about, you know, this season, the latest denim leg shape is flare or skinny or whatever it is we just buy according to what we actually like and what suits us and what's going to last and i think inherently we kind of do that anyway right like we all have our favorite jeans that we'll wear you know we we don't care about what the trend is we're just going to carry on wearing those jeans because we love them and we know they suit us 
So we kind of do this. I think we just sometimes forget and get swayed by the latest shiny marketing image about what we think we should be wearing. Right. And we forget. Yeah. And, and then we buy it and we go, oh, that looks horrible on me. Right. But if we <laughs> Why become did I do conscious? That? Yeah, right. It's conscious. If, it's just going back yeah, to being, doing, the, doing things mindfully, doing things right. mindfully and consciously. Yeah. Armed Absolutely. with information. Absolutely. So I just want to hear about your vision for Immaculate Vegan. And, you know, the brand is, the, the, the platform rather, is relatively new. And uh, I would just love to hear about, you know, what you're excited about as it grows and what you hope to accomplish with, with what you're building. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're, we're very ambitious. Um, so I think, you know, I use the word platform a lot rather than website or rather than store. And that's deliberate because I think ultimately what we want to be here to do is, is help inform and inspire people to live a more ethical and sustainable life and, and make that enjoyable and easy. And for us, that's about having a lot of content on there. So for example, we have a immaculate magazine, which is all about kind of giving people information, um, and, and inspiration hopefully as well. We really want to develop that side of the business too. Um, we want to ultimately be really have really strong collections in all of the kind of key categories in fashion in all the regions around the world because we want people to be able to buy locally as well. So there's a you know there's a lot of category development that, that is in our kind of near term and longer term future. Um, I mean, right now we're very very strong in women's fashion, but we're growing our men's. Um, we hope to launch kids soon as well, and I think ultimately it's about you know expanding out from fashion so we do have some homewares and some beauty products but we really want to expand out those but we also want to be a platform where you can you know essentially buy or use different products and services for different areas of your life and and know that they've been vetted and carefully curated and chosen for you so that you are making the most ethical and sustainable choice that you possibly can so for me that feels almost endless because it's like well wow there's so there's so many different parts of our lives that we could do that in right um but I, I, yeah, I think we'll concentrate on obviously fashion first. There's definitely a big gap there, but I think that the sky is the limit, hopefully. Perfect. So yeah, no, I think there's so much potential both of Immaculate Vegan and within this industry that, you know, you're part of disrupting, Anik. So I'm really excited to see how the story unfolds, how the growth takes shape and to watch more and more brands and more and more consumers find their way to each other through platforms like Immaculate Vegan. So really a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, likewise, Nathan. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. My favorite part of the conversation with Anique was talking about the joy of fashion and how creativity and innovation can be fun and sexy. Fashion is all about the new, right? The next new thing, the exciting new trend that's inspiring us to push the envelope. Why can't transforming our world be fun and creative? I mean, how cool is it to turn down a bag made of leather or plastic, not just because they are harmful to wildlife, people, or planet, but also because there's this amazing new bag that's more exciting. It's made of an alternative material like pineapple leaves, which has made leather and plastic obsolete. Yesterday's news, which is the enemy of fashion. Imagine all of the possibilities that are out there for similar discoveries. Once we ask the question that Dr. Carmen Ijosa, the creator of Pinatex, the pineapple leather, asked herself, how can we create something beautiful and new, using what we already have, to benefit our world? And that's our first takeaway from today's conversation, what we call our three changemakers. Changemaker number one, there is no end to the creativity we can discover to rethink fashion and rethink our world. 
And this isn't just about discovering and developing new materials like pinatex, apple leather, or using hemp. We can also use our creativity to solve the problems of fast fashion in other ways. Rent the Runway, the online designer clothing rental company, revolutionized formal wear for women in the United States, reducing waste and promoting the sharing economy simply by creating a platform which allows women to reuse and save money. Another example is when brands have the courage to get creative and reject the status quo and put a new message out there than we're used to. This happened in 2011, when Patagonia, the well-known American outdoor clothing brand, made waves when it ran a Black Friday ad in the New York Times showing a photo of one of its signature jackets, with a line underneath, Don't buy this jacket. A major retailer telling customers not to buy its product that was unheard of. Patagonia believes that consumers are buying too often at too low of a quality, so they raised their head and said, this should change. And they used this opportunity to highlight their philosophy, and also to highlight programs that they have to mend their products so that they can extend the life of their products for consumers. Another Patagonia slogan is, if it's broke, fix it. Which is so not the norm and is so great, and this risk paid off for Patagonia, literally. Between 2008 and 2014, Patagonia profits tripled to almost $1 billion per year in the midst of these campaigns. Let's have the courage to tell a new story and be part of that new story around what we wear, from how we produce it to how we use it and how we dispose of it, or don't dispose of it. Changemaker number two there's an invisible cost to our clothes, and transparency is the answer. I think Anique's point about transparency is so key. If we, as citizens of this world, had full transparency into how garment workers were treated, how they have to work, how materials are produced, and the environmental impact our clothes are having every day, then things would change quickly. It's time for us as consumers to familiarize ourselves with the policies of every brand we have a relationship with. Where there's no transparency, we should ask for it. Where you find transparency and positive trends toward respect for human rights, for wildlife, and for the earth, support them. Support those organizations. We cannot continue to live in a world which ignores the true cost of the fashion we're producing especially when you think about the size of this industry and the impact it has on millions of lives and ecosystems around the world. Awareness from global citizens and consumers and transparency from our industries is essential to turn the tide so that we can act from this sense of empowerment, which comes from knowledge of the problems that we face and the solutions that will fix them. And changemaker number three, our final takeaway for today, your clothes are a statement about who you are and what you value. In addition to wearing something we love because it makes us feel good about ourselves and our appearance, let's wear things that make us feel good about who we are in the world and what we stand for. And let's have some fun while we're at it and use platforms like Immaculate Vegan to find beautiful, creative ways to state clearly, I stand behind mission-driven products in all forms. I'm wearing my values. Here's what you can do today. Consider making a commitment to no longer purchasing new clothes made from destructive materials or processes. If you're interested in avoiding the worst of the options out there, start by avoiding all non-organic cotton, any leather, and synthetic clothing in all forms. 
This isn't easy, especially if you're someone who wears a lot of activewear, but there are more and more options out there, and many brands are now creating sustainable options in their product lineup. So even your favorite brands might already have options. Look for a fully recycled option from your favorite brand. Buy sustainable products from large brands to signal to them that this is important to you as a consumer. And if you're looking for some great new workout clothes that align with your values as far as the environment and human rights, check out Reflex One and Komodo on Immaculate Vegan, two sustainability-focused activewear brands using recycled materials or mostly natural materials to create their products. What else can you do? Demand transparency from the brands you shop with, and don't underestimate the power of awareness and grassroots movements. Some of you may remember the hashtag payup campaign from early last year at the beginning of the pandemic. Several major global brands, including Uniqlo, H&M, Nike, and Gap, abruptly halted production of their products and announced that they would not pay for over $40 billion of products that had already been produced because of the shutdown of their retail stores due to the lockdown. But workers had already made these goods. If these companies chose not to pay for the orders that they had placed, that would lead garment workers around the world to not receive pay for work they had already completed. And many human rights organizations, nonprofits, and individual consumers raised their voices and said, no, this isn't right. These brands need to honor their commitment to pay for the products they have ordered, regardless of circumstances. And the hashtag payup campaign got results. Over 22 of the $40 billion that were owed for products produced was paid. Not all of it, but more than half of it which is $22 billion plus more than would have been paid if people hadn't spoken up. Our challenge for you today is to explore the options out there. Next time you're ready to buy a new piece of clothing, see if there's not a sustainable or all-natural version of it that you can try. It might be a little more expensive, but it should last longer. See what you find. Would you do it again? Would you consider making a commitment to buy only sustainable and natural clothing that supports the employees along the supply chain and the environment? Tell people about the brands you find and the experience you have. As I said to Anique during our conversation, I've found more options springing up all the time. I started looking into this a little bit about a year ago, and I'm telling you there are more than twice as many options out there now from brands who are making really cool stuff, from socks to underwear to nice shirts and scarves and accessories, bags, everything you can think of. Check out the options and see what you find. If you'd like to support Immaculate Vegan, you can shop, share, and support the mission. Shop by jumping onto ImmaculateVegan.com and start browsing. They ship to Europe, North America, many places in Asia, and they've got some really beautiful and exciting products to take a look at. Next, share. Share their platform and also their message. When you wear their products and someone compliments you, tell those people about Immaculate Vegan and what makes them unique. And talk about the brands you found and the work they're doing in the world to rethink fashion, to rethink how we make clothes and what that means. And then support the mission. Learn more. Talk about what you've learned. There's a ton of amazing resources out there, some of which Anique shared with us. Those include cleanclothes.org, goodonyou.eco, fashionforgood.com, 
fashionrevolution.org. And definitely check out the Fashion Revolution Fashion Transparency Index. If you're interested in learning more, jump on to wecanremaketheworld.com and go to the Immaculate Vegan episode page, where we'll post links to all of the facts that we talked about on today's episode, as well as links to every organization we mentioned and more resources for you to dig in on your own. Help to ensure that this conversation happens as much as possible in your community and around the world. As we've said, awareness leads to transparency, which leads to change. Transparency is everything. What the Rana Plaza disaster showed us is what's happening behind the scenes. It shined a light in the dark. Let's not turn a blind eye to an industry that's so in need of a transformation toward 21st century values of human rights, equal pay, fair trade, and protection of the planet. Let's address the root causes of what's going on in fashion and make a real fashion statement. Thanks for being here with us, as always. Join us in two weeks for a conversation with Melissa Shaka, executive director for the world-famous Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, known for its incredible work to protect wildlife in Eastern Africa and raise awareness around why that matters. Until then, be well. Be well.